You're listening to episode 194, The Science and Benefits of Gratitude with Stacy Danford. You know, that's just how we do because the new wears off, but it also wears off with people. Mm -hmm. And there is such a direct link to the lack of appreciation to humans and the the lack of relationships and the way they fall apart after a certain Mm -hmm. amount of time. Honeymoon phase. Yes. And one of the researchers, you know, said that the number one predictor of a healthy relationship is gratitude and appreciation. Mm -hmm. This is the Dance of Life. My name is Tudor Alexander, and we are going to go on a journey to hack your mind, body, and soul for living your best life yet. Tune in every week to learn something new, grow, and get inspired as we discover the secrets of success and practice the art of fulfillment. And if it's one thing I hope you learn from today, it's that your life is a dance. And just like any dance, you can learn to dance it well. What's up, everybody? Welcome, as usual, to the show. Hope you are happy, healthy, and safe wherever you happen to be. William Wordsworth, taken away from the old school with us today. Your mind is a garden. Your thoughts are seeds. You can grow flowers or you can grow weeds. I love that quote. You know, it kind of reminds me a little bit of Dr. Seuss's style, but, you know, it's such a simple and beautiful reminder of the power of our mind to shape the quality of our life it truly is. You know, what we think, what we say, all that stuff creates our reality and determines everything from our health to the amount of money in our pocketbooks, the quality of our relationships, and many, many other things. And one of the ways that governs all of that is simply your ability to appreciate. And that comes through the practice of gratitude. Today, my inspiring guest is Stacy Danford. Stacy is an educational neuroscientist with a master's degree in mind and brain education, a TEDx speaker, and an award-winning teacher. Her graduate studies focus specifically on neuroscience behind gratitude and the chemical and electrical changes it causes in the human brain. Stacy is bridging the gap between joy and science and leading the way in educating thousands on how to build a better brain to achieve greater success. If you want to get in touch with Stacy or follow her, she's at www.thegratefulbrain.com. And she's offering all listeners of this podcast 10% off her signature Chemical Soup online course. So make sure you go check that out. Check out her website as well. We'll put all this in the blog post for this particular episode. Again, this is 194. You can find all this information at danceoflife.com slash podcast. Just click on the post for one. 94. Now, today we're talking about the science and benefits of gratitude. I am so excited to share this episode with you guys. You know, every interview I have, I'm super excited. I have some of the most amazing people that come uh, on this show, and, and I get to talk to them and learn and, and share them with you guys. But today is a little bit special to my heart because, as you know, gratitude plays a huge role in everything that I talk about. You know, I wrote a book myself in 2019 last year already actually 2018 gosh it's been already so long time flies see there you go time flies but you know gratitude has been a big part of my life and it saved me from being complacent from being complaining and toxic from being miserable you know we all have different emotions that we go to whether that's anger depression sadness worry whatever it is 
And to me, gratitude is sort of the antidote to all that. Your ability to find something to appreciate every day, to be thankful, to wake up with a sense of wonder, to find mystery and playfulness in the world around you. And there's a lot of stuff that's going on right now that's just absolutely crazy. And your ability to sift through all the fear and to stay positive, to stay inspired. You know, this show is all about inspiring you and motivating you for action and keeping the light on. That's really important. And a big part of that is gratitude and being able to rewire your brain. You know, gratitude is kind of a word I think that's been used maybe very superficially, like gratitude. Everybody knows, oh, let me just be grateful. But it's really much more than that. Today, we're going to be getting into the neuroscience of it. And that's why I'm so excited to share it with you. I don't need science to convince me that gratitude is necessary for a good life. But today, my guest, Stacy, she's an expert at this stuff, and we're going to be talking about all kinds of really interesting things about how to rewire your brain, how to overcome obstacles uh, to your own personal success, how to bring gratitude into your daily life on a regular basis. You know, Stacy's going to share some of her own stories, how she got on this path from a very interesting and profound little moment in her life. So I'm super excited to share all of this with you. It's such a great episode. Thank you so much for being here, for joining me. If you like this kind of stuff, make sure you hit that subscribe button wherever you are listening to this and share it with your friends. Sharing is caring. You never know the difference you're going to make in somebody's life. Somebody who needs to hear this message today on gratitude, on rewiring their brain. Anybody who might be interested in this stuff, let them know. Give them a share. And I appreciate the love. Without further ado, let's get into the science and benefits of gratitude with Stacy Danford. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the show. I am here talking about the science and benefits of gratitude with my awesome guest, Stacy Danford. She's an author, a neuroscientist, a gratitude expert, and apparently a great roller skater. Isn't that right, Stacy? <laughs> I am. <laughs> that's right. I saw that video of you. You posted on Facebook roller skating. I was like, man, that's pretty impressive. I, I'm a ballroom dancer. I can't even roller skate. I'm not too good at it. <laughs> That used to be my secret dream to be in the roller derby, and I oh, gave really? that up about 50, yeah. <laughs> roller skating, it's a whole different thing. You know, when you uh, roller blade, that's what I used to do is roller blade. You can go on an angle, but roller skating, you're flat uh, parallel to the street or whatever you're riding on. is. I think it's, it's a lot harder because you don't have that tension that you can push against. I, right. mean, I don't know. And it's harder to stop with the brakes in the front than it is in the mm -hmm. back. Yeah. And you forget if you put them too fast, you go all the way you over. You fall forward, yeah. <laughs> well, it's good to have you on the show. So, Thank you. So I'm happy so to have you. So you, you have a master's in educational neuroscience. You have a background in teaching for 25 years. How, how did that get you to doing what you're doing now? I mean, with, with all the gratitude and, and training people to change their brain and, and really – speaking to that how did you get into that from your background it all started with the worst student I ever taught <laughs> and I was teaching high school art humanities at the time and I had a 16 year old boy who walked into my room mad at the world and he was fresh out of military school hated the world hated me and certainly hated humanities and I could not make him behave. And I tried all my tricks and nothing worked. 
And I asked my daughter, who was a senior in high school at the time, I was like, what do I do with him? And she said, mom, what do you know about him? And I said, well, I know he's terrible. <laughs> and she said, exactly. Until he knows you care, he doesn't care what you know. And mm. I've never forgotten that. So the very next day, I started asking him questions about himself. And I started telling him one good thing every single day. And man, there were days that it was brutal. And I remember the first day that I couldn't think of anything because he was terrible. And I told him I love the way he parted his hair. <laughs> wow. <laughs> He looked at me like, what is wrong with you, lady? You're like, all right, you're just but fishing after, now. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh my God, I couldn't, that was how bad he was. But after about three weeks, I noticed he changed a little. And mm. then after three months, he started coming into my room with a smile. Wow. And he ended up leaving our school at the end of the year. He was terrible, except he was nice to me. Hmm. And we stayed in contact, you know, for, we still are to this day. Wow, um, really? Yes. As a matter of fact, I just talked to him yesterday and we have always talked. Well, after he got out of rehab, he asked if I would come have lunch with him one day. And I asked him, I said, Andrew, why were you so much nicer to me than you were everybody else? You would have had a, such a different experience. And he said, Miss Stanford, you smiled at me every time you saw me and you made me feel like you were grateful I was alive. Wow. Wow. That's and huge huge and i remember exactly those words and it wasn't even just that you made him feel good feel grateful yeah. that he's alive he, like that's a really specific the, emotion yes and wow. it was the first time i'd ever heard that word grateful used in that context mm -hmm. other you know it was very different than just saying thank you yeah so i came home that day and i started researching everything i could find about smiling and gratitude because those mm. were the two things that he said and found out there was a science in both of them. And I started, you know, digging in and digging in and found that there was actually a degree I could get that incorporated both of those. Decided oh, really? To wow. To school. Yeah. Where'd you get the degree from? Uh, U UTA. Wow. But it, that degree is only offered at three universities in the world as of right now. And it's wow. John Hopkins, uh, Harvard, and UTA. Wow. And our professor came from Harvard. And so, you know, he brought it with him and it's a very, it's a combination of psychology, neuroscience and education, you know, kind of put into one little package. And that's really cool. Absolutely my life. Yeah. I love geeking out. I mean, I'm, I'm not like a scientist or anything, but I love reading about how the brain works, how neurons work. I mean, it's just absolutely fascinating. The machines that we have that we are really, I mean, the whole body is a machine, but just the brain itself, we're talking about neuroscience, how it reshapes itself. Like I read about a girl who lost half of her brain and the, the half that was left, like somehow assimilated the parts that were supposed to be, you know, it's just like crazy. I mean, it's like you read about it, you think it's sci-fi, but really it's okay. Like this actually it's happens. Really real. and, and we know less about the brain than we know about space. Wow. You know, and people think, you know, the cosmos is this massive entity, but we know less about what's inside our own head than we do the whole cosmos. Hmm. And because up until recent, you know, technology, we've never been able to see inside a living brain. Hmm. So the only way we were ever able to test a brain or look at it was, you know, if someone passed away. But That's now we've, technology's caught up, you know, we, we can see inside a living brain and. 
it's absolutely changed what people know about it. You know, it's funny. You just reminded me of another, I, I have a very good memory when it comes to random facts. So <laughs> I remember these <laughs> things like, like crazy, but they recently discovered, and I'm sure you probably know this, uh, that the brain releases biophotons, like uh, light, like it releases biophotons when it does its thing, like when it's whatever, thinking and processing and stuff. And so I was reading this article that one of the reasons, because you look in all the cultures about people who are quote unquote enlightened or saints or, you know, people that are supposed to have some sort of spiritual elevation. All the time, universally, what they do is they, even in Indian cultures, they highlight a light around the head. They do like some sort of a, you know, a halo or, you know, some sort of thing where it's, okay, emanating from the head. And so what they found was that the more, there was some variable that basically the more, more stuff you had in your brain, more synapses, more something, the more, you know, more biophotons you, you release. So there's, there was some, they were thinking like, yeah, I'll have to look it up and maybe I'll post it in the show notes of this episode. But yeah. it was like, wow, that's, you know, what did they know that we, you know, that we didn't, but that's. There, yeah. There's just so much that they've discovered. You know, people used to say you were either right-brained or left-brained. You know, they know now that's mm-hmm. the myth. That's been not true forever, mm-hmm. but people still, you know, hold on to it. We use both, and, right? I mean, know, there are different yeah, parts of the brain that govern it, but we use both. Hmm. All the time. And, and, you know, and even the newest studies where they actually see the blood flow in the brain, it, it never just just uses one side or right, the other. Right, yeah, and, for sure. You know, the synapsis goes back and forth. But there are people who have had their split brain personality. Oh, yeah. had to have, yeah, it's, have you seen the studies oh, yeah. on that? Oh, yeah, what's his name? I forget the, the guy's name who did all the studies, but it's, yeah, when they're like literally, when they're moving with one hand, they're writing, and the other hand's doing something else, like it's possessed because they're not even aware that they the hand... Can't, they're not talking. Yeah, but oh, they man. function normally. Yeah, it, it's, it's wild. Well, it's, yeah, it's, it's, really... it's, it's fascinating to see what goes on in there. You know, and they know now that we grow new neurons up until the day we die. Yeah. And, you know, neurogenesis was a thing that was, you know, when I was a kid, people would say, you know, you only have so many brain cells and, you know, don't use them all don't up. Them and don't destroy them. Yeah. <laughs> don't kill them off. <laughs> don't kill them off in college. Yeah. <laughs> well, see, that's inspiring because especially when it comes to, let's say, gratitude and changing your brain and getting out of the habits that we're in, out of the stuck you know, situations that we're in, there's always the light at the end of the tunnel. Like literally there's, there's proof that your brain can change at any age, right? Any age. Up until the day you die. Yeah. And especially one of the areas that changes the most where there's the most neurogenesis is the hippocampus. Hmm. And that's in the emotional center of the brain in the limbic system. But that's also where memories are. And, you know, there's a direct link between what people feel like Alzheimer's and dementia related things have to do with the hippocampus. Mm. And that's one of the areas that continues to make new neurons all the way through and movement, which is what you do is one of the best ways to increase the size of the hippocampus. You know, I actually have, I have read about that. How I think with movement, it was something like 30% or some huge amount that it was people who were doing, you know, regular movement. It's, it's fascinating to see that we can actually change the shape of our brain 
And, you know, there, there's so many crazy studies out there, you know, they're just in the beginning stages of Mm. being able to see inside, but, you know, athletes, they're looking at, do they have, you know, different parts of their brain that are, you know, just slightly bigger than others. And Mm. we've got a hundred billion neurons in our brain and enough blood vessels inside our brain, which this is crazy to wrap around the equator four times. Wow. Really? That's how does that, like, how do you, I, I just don't. I can't even imagine that. Like how? Wow. I mean, there's no way we can know what all it does. We have enough in here to wrap around the earth four times. So it's doing so much more than we even remotely know is possible. Man. But, you know, gratitude, which is what I teach, is one of the things they know will change the chemistry and the chemicals of the brain. Hmm. And it is so fascinating to watch how people begin to change the way they're thinking. And then they start thinking that they're seeing new things. Well, those things were always there. They Mm. just didn't have a pathway for it because your brain has, you know, hundred billion connections. And if you don't have a connection for joy and happiness and gratitude, unless something great happens to you, then your brain is not going to form that connection. Yeah, it's dependent upon the environment. You're not creating it yourself. And and all the research shows that it is grateful people who are happy, not the other way around. And that's Mm. what they used to think, that happy people could be grateful, but the rest of the world couldn't. But the Mm. research is exactly the opposite. And it is grateful people who are happy. And we can all learn to be grateful. Mm. Yeah, I mean, happiness is, I mean, especially it's such a, broad thing like you know what is happiness is it fulfillment is it contentment is it you know after i eat a pizza am i happy it's like we use happiness and love as such a well, like oh i love that makeup shade on you or you know it's like yeah you know what is that but really gratitude is okay like that's very specific like you are in a state of appreciation for something where you're you know there's, there's a couple elements in my experience of it and you can share with me what, what you found as well but like one of them obviously is, is the mental component of, okay, like how am I framing this, right? So there's practicing the language part of how you tend to language things in your life. Like if something happens and you say, oh crap, this is just so stupid. I'm so unfortunate. Like you're complaining inside your head. That's something that you need to rewire linguistically so that you can right. get to, but then there's also like, I feel this is where the movement to me really matters in the sense that movement trains you to be very sensitive and mindful and uh, sensitive in a sense, not like emotionally sensitive, although that's been proven through studies too, but like sensitive, like being able to use your senses. Like when you are in the, you can't be grateful in the past or grateful in the future. Gratitude happens in the present moment. So you're getting present to what it is that you're grateful for. And so when you get present, your skill to be present, let's put it that way, like your ability to be present. And do you use your senses to be in the now? I feel like that's equally as important as, as all the framing and linguistic stuff, which I, which I think is a little more commonly known. Or like, oh, if I'm going to be grateful, it's like I'm going to use a journal and you know, yeah. journal what I'm grateful for. But also there's like this general ability to bring your mind back to the present, to appreciate, to sense, to use your body, to go slow. Um, that's what I've noticed you know, is also a complement to developing that skill. It really is and it's a skill to, to, I get my students and my clients all to stop where they are right now and mm-hmm. find something they're grateful for. 
And because we take for granted so many things and they'll say, oh, no, yeah. I don't have anything to be grateful for. And I'm like, what about the breath in your lungs? What about oh, the yeah. eyes that see the sunshine? What about the breeze on your face? You know, and there's so many, the sound of the birds, the smell of the coffee, you know, and when you learn to look for the little things, then mm. you start noticing more and more and more and more. And that's the part of the brain that gratitude changes is the reticular activating system, which mm. that's the lizard brain, they call that. And it's really just a filter in the very back of your brain that once was thought to only control breathing and heart rate and, you know, the, the survival mechanisms like a lizard. But they now know that little filter, which is about the size of a pencil. It's about the thickness of a pencil, about two inches long. But it controls everything that you are seeing. It's your filtering gateway system for your whole entire brain. Wow. And it, if you only have, you know, a certain amount of things that we can perceive at one time, and some of the research says that we see about 4,000 bits of information per second, but our brain can only hold between 50 and 100. So that means 3,900 pieces of information are being kicked out at all times. Wow. So I have trained my reticular activating system to constantly be on the lookout for things to be grateful for. Mm. And so it appears that my life is, you know, sunshine and roses, when I have the same life, I just have trained my filter, my lizard, to look for things to be grateful for. Is that and why that you have that I picture of the lizard on the couch? Yeah. Yes, <laughs> I have lizards everywhere. But that, that's the course I teach is the learning to train your lizard. Yeah, your lizard I saw that brain. little iguana sitting on the couch. I was like, oh my God, that's awesome. <laughs> but now yeah, I get it. Now I get it why it's there. Yeah. But I just did a video about green cars. And I read this book a while back, I can't even remember the name of it, that said to pick something crazy and start telling your brain to look for it. Hmm. And so, you know, it, it, it told us, you know, weird things. And, but I chose a green car. And so I thought, okay. And so it said every day to start thinking about a green car, you know, focus on what a green car looks like and then watch the way your reticular activating system works. I literally see about 10 green cars a day now. And That's it so is crazy. How people are, they, and if you go back to my Facebook page, you can look at that video. And I, over the last probably three days since that video aired, I have gotten at least a hundred emails, DMs, text messages, people sending me green cars because they're seeing green cars. Yeah, now, now they're paying attention for it. That's funny. And I said, you know, it's not like the world made more green cars. Yeah, yeah. I just told my reticular activating system, like, hey, let's start. So it made a filter for it. And wow. that's exactly the way gratitude works. Once you have a filter for it, it's not that the world gave you more things to be grateful for. It let you see more things to be grateful for. Mm, that is, that's, a, that's profound because I think we... I mean, especially maybe you can relate to, we all have different obstacles we grow up with. For me personally, like complaining was something I had to really get over and gratitude helped me, mm -hmm. you know, having a gratitude practice, having, you know, like what we're just talking about, training your uh, RAC to, to see things, you know, constantly like what's the upside, what's, you know, let me flip it, let me flip this, you know. And I think when you complain, it's, we're, we're so easily complaining about stuff because I think we live in such an entitled society. Everything is so quick. You know, everything is so like Amazon prime, you want something, it's there the next day, you know, like literally we live in a society of abundance. And that's, if you think about it, like, I mean, I, I find myself just looking at my phone sometimes. I'm like, man, can you believe 
we have the entire, like anything that I want is literally in the palm of my hand. Mm-hmm. And that's fascinating because it's like you, you think it and then boom, it's there the next day, you know, and there's a danger with that level of immediacy because there's no sense of contrast. You know, like when you, when, when, when it takes work to get something, you naturally develop an appreciation for it. If you had to spend a lot of money on something, you're going to care a lot more about it than if you got it for free or, you know, so that's kind of the double-edged sword that we have to deal with, with our human nature, because we tend to only value something that required pain (laughs) to get, right? So so it's like today, I think we live in a society where in general, we are more entitled and also desensitized, you know, like desensitized to, and what I mean by that is, I mean, these are kind of two separate things and you can tell me what you think about this, but kind of like what we were talking about, like when you, like fasting, let's take fasting, for example, you know, when you fast, I don't know if you've ever done any fasting, but it's, I do it kind of regularly. And when I, when I do fast, even if you don't eat for, I don't know, four or five hours, when you're hungry, you're like, man, those first couple bites are the best things in the world. Like it's like, holy smokes. It never gets old. It never gets old when you're hungry and you're ready to eat. That always tastes like amazing, you know? And so, but then, you know, you eat and then pretty much after the first couple bites, like you're desensitized. It's a natural thing to be exposed to the same thing. And then, it loses its charm or loses its value. So the point I'm trying to make is we live in a society where we're constantly surrounded by anything we want all the time. And so that really desensitizes us because there's no struggle. Like there's no, you know, I mean, sure we have first world problems like, Oh, you know, my Amazon prime came two days late, you know, whatever. But you know what I'm saying? Like there, we, we have a lot, a lot of challenges in a different way today with that. And it's funny that you say that because that novelty of those first few bites and, you know, the, the thing <laughs> yeah. you get that you waited on that you love for a day or two and then it's old, you know, the, the research will show that even the biggest things that you can get, like a house or a car or a new wife or whatever, the novelty of anything, the maximum it can last is about six months. Yeah. And, you know, think about every new car anybody's ever had, you know, for nobody's eating in here, you know, and it's clean. Yep. And then pretty soon it's got, you know, a four year old McDonald's French fries under the seat. And, you know, that's just how we do because the new wears off, but it also wears off with people. Mm-hmm. And there is such a direct link to the lack of appreciation to humans and the, the lack of relationships and the way they fall apart after a certain mm. amount of time. Honeymoon so, phase. Yes. And one of the researchers, you know, said that the number one predictor of a healthy relationship is gratitude and appreciation. Mm. So um, novelty is actually one of the other ways that you can increase the size of the hippocampus. And, it, you know, do something different every day. Drive a different way to work. You know, eat a food you've never eaten or mm. taste it like you've never tasted it before because your brain loves those things. And just like you said, you know, those first four bites are like, ah, oh, they're like magic, but they're also releasing dopamine in your brain because that's always connected to desire. And those are one of the happy chemicals of the happy quartet is what I call them, which is dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, and endorphins. But anytime you desire something and you get it, you get that, you know, dopamine rush. <laughs> yeah. But it, it can be like, you know, your feet on freshly mowed grass or, you know, just stop and feel the sunshine on your face. And it can be something little, but when you learn to look at it through the eyes of novelty, 
you know, think of life as the first four bites. Every, every mm. morning when you wake up, you know, imagine the first four bites of life. And I tell people that it's the magic sweet spot in the morning before you get your feet on the floor because mm-hmm. you can't activate the motor cortex. But, you know, when you're kind of awake and kind of asleep and you're in that little, I need to get up. Oh, I just want to mm-hmm. lay here three more minutes. You know, that phase. That's like the fertile zone of the brain. And if you'll do gratitude during that sweet spot, it can release chemicals that will last up to six hours in your day if you, wow. you know, do it on a consistent basis. So every morning when my snoo- my alarm goes off, I have a nine-minute snooze, which I think everybody does on an iPhone. And so for that nine minutes, I just roll over gratitudes in my head. And, you know, because when you activate the motor cortex, you know, it requires more of your brain to get up mm. and walk and, you know, brush your teeth. More energy. So, so then you while, in. Yeah. So while you're still, if you'll dump all those chemicals in, you know, and it's little things. I say, you know, thank you for eyes that see and ears that hear and legs that take me where I want to go. Thank you for a bed that feels like I'm sleeping in vanilla pudding and a little dirty dog at the end of my bed waiting, you know, to get up. And, you know, it's the little things for hot water in my sink. And, you know, those things that people say they don't have anything to be grateful for. And you're like, you know, there are people all over the world who are wishing for what you have. Your life is their greatest dream. But you no longer look at it as novel and wow. You look at it as, you know, boring and regular and. To somebody, it's awesome. Why not let that somebody be you? There's always somebody with a crappier day than you at any Amen. point in time. <laughs> and you don't have to look far sometimes. You don't. No, you don't. I mean, every, every time I, like, I'll be riding my bike, I'll, the other day, actually, I was riding my bike and I saw this guy, you know, just waiting for the bus and he just had no legs, man. I mean, I'm just like, oh my God, like, yeah. like, anything I'm bitching about in my mind right now to, to, as I'm riding my bike, like it doesn't even compare like that dude would take my life for a, you know, for anything just to have walk again. You know, it's like your worst terrible life. I speaking of legs, I was getting ready to run a 10 K a while back and I woke up one morning and I was in one of those grumpy moods and I was mad at my legs and mad at this, mad at that. I'm thinking, you know, 50 year old, cellulite this terror sucks you know and I get to the end of the street and I'm about to turn and the lady that lives at the end of the road comes out on her walker and she's doing the same trail as me on her walker (laughs) and when I passed her she looked at me and she said you're doing good honey and I was like oh my gosh you know and I felt like this tall but I thought wow she would kill to have my 50 year old cellulite Cause she just wants legs at work and she's not grappling. She's out there on her, her walk. Isn't it, isn't it great? Those little that. reminders. I find like yeah. when you, especially when you do this kind of stuff and you're really in tune with whatever, you know, the path of appreciation and really trying to grow yourself. I find that when you are complaining or like when you go off the path, life sends you reminders really quick, man. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's like, Hey, you Got lots to be grateful. Yeah. Hey, wake up. How how do you think the the, the little complaining? Oh, go ahead. The oh, little what? complaining that we do though yeah, go ahead. It's fine. is it's it's silent in your brain because people think it's not harmful if it doesn't come out of your mouth. You <laughs> That's know, even worse. Yeah. Our, yeah. They we just think it in our head, and the average person has about fifty thousand thoughts, but about eighty percent of those are negative. Oh yeah. Which is crazy. 
Um, but some of the brand new research shows that complaining actually shrinks the size of your brain. I, I've seen that. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, and scary, I know man. People, if you thought of your brain, if you thought of those 50,000 thoughts, like $50,000, but every time you complained, you had to give a dollar away, we'd be way more careful with them if they were dollars. Mm. But, but we don't think that it's not coming out, so it's not harmful, but it absolutely is. Wow. What, why does it do that again? Is it like, is there some sort of cortisol or stress cortisol. Re- mm-hmm. response? And, and yeah. Some of the research that I have looked at, and it shows that cortisol actually eats little holes in your brain. Wow. That, you know, our brain, cortisol is actually good for what, what it's meant for, but mm-hmm. it's only supposed to last three minutes, you know, so it's the fight or flight. You, you know, if you want to like run, you yeah. need three minutes of boost. But we are in a state of constant stress, so our brain is producing constant cortisol, and it's not meant to do that. It's not meant to hold that. And so it's like, you know, it's like battery acid for your brain, and, you know, it just like starts chewing on it, and before you know it, you're in a mess. No, it's crazy. I mean, I've been through several periods of burnout myself, and it's like you get brain fog, you get, and it's that's the other thing, too, that I think is really worth some conversation because when it comes to the realm of let's say training yourself to be more grateful, more appreciative, find fulfillment in life, all that kind of stuff that we're talking about. There's, there's that whole mindset realm, which talks about mindset strategies, language, framing, all that stuff. But then, you know, we talked about movement as being really important too. And I think another aspect that's also super important is health because if you are, let's say unhealthy and, and you know, you're not treating your body well, you know, the first organ to suffer is your brain. Your brain uses the most energy. And, you know, if you're not eating right, if you're not taking care of yourself, you're eating crap, you know, whatever, and you're, you're not managing your stress, it's, it's exponentially harder to be more grateful and to try to like be, you know, of course, you know, let's say you have a lot of practice at it and you have an off day, you know, you're traveling, you're not eating right, whatever, you're tired. Of, of course, you're going to have a lot more skills. But even then, it's like, it's a lot harder when your body's not aligned. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, and yes. I think that that's, that's not looked at in the picture of, it's not looked at enough is what I'm saying in the mainstream. Like, you know, let's be more grateful. My, it's more it's mindset. So important. But it is though. Yeah. And it's like having a Ferrari in, in the driveway that has no gas, you know, what mm-hmm. good is it? It can't go anywhere. It's super yeah. cute to look at, you know? Right. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. But it's not doing its best job Hmm. and our bodies cannot do our best job, but our brain is so vital to making all the rest of this function correctly and Hmm. sleep, which they now know is, you know, crazy important, which terrible in my past, my sleep was awful. Me too. Yeah. And sleep and food intake it, you're fighting a losing battle. It's like you're you know, because all of those affect the lizard brain. Yeah. And it's like you're, you know, sending your lizard off with one leg and two teeth. And, and you're poor, telling him. The to, poor little lizard. Good, good <laughs> job. <laughs> Do your best. <laughs> now I have this picture of, of your iguana now. Every time I think of the lizard brain, that's good. Uh, <laughs> that's I have so a cute. six foot long one. Really? And a six foot long iguana? Yeah. Gee, well, he's wow. Stuck. He's not real. But when I did my TED talk, I I took my lizard with me to Boston and he had to go through the airport security and everything, you know, and he wouldn't fit in my suitcase. So I carried him and they tonged him at the airport and they were like, what is this? And I had to explain to the lady, I'm like, I do lizard brain lessons. 
and they took him in the back and searched him. And I was like, <laughs> Oh my God, that doesn't surprise me. Um, I, I want to ask you like, how do you help people develop a sense of wonder? Because, you know, when we talk about finding the simple things in life, I, I completely agree with you. It's being able to get present or get re-present to the things that you already have, like, hey, I have warm water today, or I can breathe, I have both lungs, I have all these, you know, things in my house that I can use, whatever, you know, like, getting present to those is is a skill. And that skill, one thing I've found is, that's really helpful, at least with, with most of it, like, let's say with your body, and let's say, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I have both eyes so that I can see, you know, like being able to, to see that though, to actually see, it seems like a simple thing, but really to see that involves some level of wonder and your ability to like really, like for me, like I love to geek out on, oh my God, like how does this work? The DNA that makes it grow and the little structures inside. The other day I was reading about how plants use quantum mechanics to photosynthesize. I don't know if you've ever read about that, but it's uh-uh. fascinating. Like literally plants convert almost 100% of the sun's energy. Like they're, they're like 100% efficient. So what that means is they take all the energy from those photons. Somehow those photons reach the inside of the plant's like structure. You have to realize at a microscopic level, those photons have a near impossible chance to basically not hit something on the way there. So the, what the light, what the plant does is it, it doesn't observe it, I guess. I don't know. It keeps it in this quantum entangled state until it reaches. It's, it's fascinating. But I'm like, that is, but see that when, after I read that, because I like to nerd out on about that kind of stuff. Like for me, that gives me another layer. Like when I'm looking at some trees or whatever, if I'm walking out, like, man, it's just like, I'm just like, wow, like this is just unbelievable to, to witness, you know, these things happening now that I know that they're happening, you know? So there's a level of wonder I feel that's very important to cultivate. And I think that um, in the, again, going back to the day and age we live in with Amazon Prime, not to blame Amazon, I'm, I'm an Amazon Prime member, but, <laughs> but you know, like the, the, you know, the YouTube age, the Netflix age, all this stuff where we have, we have technology, you know, in the past when there wasn't technology, you would go outside, you would go outside, you'd learn about the natural world, you would, you know, you would be involved, like people in the ancient times were intimately involved with the natural world. And so I think that there was a sense of wonder that you naturally acquired these days everything comes taken for granted and you can just turn on your Netflix and it's, there's no sense of wonder in that. You know what I mean? Like, so how do you help people build that sense of wonder so that they can go back to the simple things and and truly see the miracles that there are around? Because it truly is like, you know, if you have a a working body, a, you know, a house over your head, like all those things are miracles, you know, but I don't think that's easy to see necessarily. And it's, it's one method I use that, it came to me in the middle of the ocean in Mexico and we were snorkeling and we were out on this protected reef and I'm a terrible snorkeler and I suck the water in and I, oh, I'm me awful. too. I can't snorkel. And, and, but for some reason that day I was doing well and this huge sea turtle came swimming by and I think I was in such shock that I wasn't, you know, sucking in water or whatever that I just started following this sea turtle. And I realized that when I quit seeing the turtle as a turtle, I actually saw the turtle. I know that mm. sounds crazy, but, you know, we, we think we know what turtles are, you know, and if you've lived longer than, you know, a few years old, you know what a turtle is. 
And so we kind of stop seeing it because we just know it's a turtle. Mm. But when I stopped, you saw the label of the turtle. Yes. And I I was, you know, I was, you know, a few feet from it, but it had orange in its back and its eyes looked right at me and it had like a personality and, you know, it didn't have the feet that I thought it had that I had Mm. just completely ignored. And it had little speckles on it and, you know, it's little chin looked like a double chin. And I was like, wow, when I stopped looking at it like a turtle, I actually saw the turtle Hmm. and I have never let go of that premise. And now when I go outside, you know, I don't look at my tree as a tree and then I actually see my tree and that tree is very different than my neighbor's tree. And, you know, I, I notice how the bark layers thicker on one side than the other. And, you know, even little things, a rock. And I'm like, wow, you know, there are 18 colors in this white rock. And it can be all the way to, you know, my son, when he hugs me and I quit looking at my son as my son, I actually see my son. And I'm like, Mm. oh my gosh, you know, you have three new little freckles and his voice is changing. He's 12. And, you know, I feel differently about him when I stop taking for granted the fact that I know about trees and I look at them through brand new eyes every day. It has been life altering in the way that I appreciate little things. Wow. That's great. I love that. That's actually been, I've really been thinking about this exact same thing myself and that when you, when you get that the description of what you're looking at in your mind is a totally different reality than the actual thing itself, then you, you start to like be, yeah, you start to get fascinated. Like again, the phone in your hand, like when you look at it, it's like, Oh, that's my phone. You know, it's a word in your mind and you see it. It's like a little trigger that represents what you're holding. But when you forget that trigger and you just look at it like, holy smokes, this is like this little glowing, you know, cube, whatever, that that I could (laughs) dive into the entire world and like, what the hell? Like, this is a portal. You know, it's like magic. It's magic. Yeah, it's crazy. And, you know, I look at it in the mornings when I drink my coffee And, you know, I know the taste of coffee. I drink it every single day. And when I taste my coffee as if it were the very first time I've had coffee, Mm. it's always something magical for me. And, you know, we just take for granted because how many times have we, you know, been in the drive-thru and, you know, we order a burrito or whatever and we get home and we're like, oh my gosh, I already ate the whole thing. And we didn't savor, you know, not one second of it. Mm. And it's sad to think that that's how we work. But we do things, we take them for granted. And, you know, we just lose the awe of everything from coffee Mm. to burritos to sea turtles to our own children. No, it's so crazy. I mean, there's so many. It's funny. We have so many reasons to be grateful for. And yet it's so easy to not be right in, in today's yeah. world. It's such a weird world. What do you think are some of the main, I mean, some of the things, some of all the things that you've done, worked with people, taught them, you know, in your experience, what has been the patterns or the main obstacles that people deal with in terms of building this habit, this flexing this muscle to appreciate? What have you seen? I think the biggest deterrent, people think their life already has to be 
great to be grateful. Mm. And that's probably the number one thing people tell me is, you know, I don't have anything to be grateful for. Or they'll say, I tried that and it didn't work. And I'm like, okay, well, tell me, you know, how did you try it and how did it work? And they'll say, I did it like for three days. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, <laughs> you got to give it at least, you know, nine months. It takes that long to make a baby. Like, come on. Mm. Um, but they don't realize that change, you know, you didn't get this brain overnight and you're not going to change it overnight. And it's not a magic pill and it is not something that's going to, you know, work tomorrow. It's a process and it's a practice and you have to practice it every day. And consistency is the absolute key to everything hmm. on days that you suck there's been days that were so terrible. The only thing I could think of is I saw two little squirrels playing in my backyard and they had really fluffy tails. Hey, <laughs> that was it. Good. That was all I had. That day. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I've learned that it's not how many things that you are grateful for mm -hmm. and the research will back this up, but it's the depth of the gratitude you feel mm. and you don't have to have 50 things. And you know, when gratitude kind of first came out, people were like saying, I'll make a list of a hundred things or 50 things or whatever. And that kind of backfired because when it became something that you dreaded to write 50 things, then it became something dreadful in mm. your brain. Um, and the, the research says that it's better to have the depth of gratitude than, you know, the width of gratitude. So every night before I go to bed, I think of one thing that I'm grateful for. And sometimes I write it, sometimes I don't, but I think of it in as much detail as I possibly can. Hmm. And in it, I go to bed with those chemical changes in my sleep and it's altered the way I sleep. It's altered so many things because those are my last thoughts before I drift off to sleep. Mm -hmm. You know, because most of us are thinking about what we got to do tomorrow. And oh my gosh, I forgot to iron my shirt. And yeah, more cortisol. The car. <laughs> yeah. And so you're going to bed with cortisol and instead of going to bed with, you know, the, the sweetness of serotonin or, and it, it is a, just such a misnomer that people think their ha life has to be grateful and they think they have to have a jillion things to be grateful for. And then the third thing I would say that the biggest obstacle is people think that's too easy. It can't possibly work. Hmm. And they really feel like it's got to be some big program or, you know, people are more apt to have some giant surgery than to go outside and just walk in the grass and be grateful for their feet. And they just don't think it can really be true, but that is not what the research we, says. We've it lost is. the connection to process, I think. You know, I, I think yes. that it, we've lost this idea of just practicing. I think everything's a practice. I mean, I, I relate to it because I'm an athlete, so I'm used to practicing. I, I was even a musician, too. I've practiced piano for like 25 years. So practice for me has just been a – everything takes practice. And so I think we've kind of lost that because you don't have to practice anything. Again, we live in a, a very immediate <laughs> – I don't have to practice ordering on Amazon again. I just hit the right. button and it's there, you know, so <laughs> there's no technique, you know, I mean, so it's, yeah. And know. it's, it's something that, you know, it's just, it, it's like everything worth having. It takes a little effort mm. and you know it, but it is life altering and your life does not have to be great. I've had a, crappy life off and on in my life. And I come from a long line of alcoholism and, you know, my whole family and 
many, many divorces and my brother you died of with a that yourself? Yes. Not alcohol, but I, I mean, I come from years of family history of alcohol abuse yeah. and my brother died of a drug overdose. And wow. it's not that my life, you know, has been sunshine and roses because it hasn't, but I have chosen in the midst of yuck to try to, you know, find something to be grateful for. And, you know, even through a divorce that I had that I didn't want it, I, you know, I thought I cannot hate the giver, but love the gift. Hmm. And I, you know, I, I got over it faster and better. And I, I swear it was because of gratitude. It, it helped me change my thinking and change my life. Yeah. It's kind of like that safety net. I mean, you're going to have crap happen to you no matter what that's like assured, you know? So I think having that skill, you know, building that skill and investing in your, your ability to appreciate is going to help you not get derailed. You know, you see, you see people that just get derailed by some of the smallest things. And it's like, dude, at the end of the day, life is short. No matter what, like time moves in one direction. So it's like when you allow your time to be wasted by anger and and resentment and all these types of things, like it's just a shame because you've just wasted your life. Like you can't get it back, you know? And it's, you know, I'm guilty of that too. We're all guilty of that. But it's like, at least if you have that skill, it's a safety net in a sense to help bring you back. And so you can enjoy the time that you have here in this little magical game. And if people will take the time to, you know, speak with an elderly person or, you know, visit a nursing home or you get a big eye opener that, you know, the massive majority of them will tell you that, you know, enjoy your life. Or they'll say, you know, hug your kids. They'll grow up so fast. And it's like, they're trying to tell you to appreciate it because it goes away. Hmm. But we think if we hurry up and get happy or hurry up and have enough money or hurry up and get the car or whatever, then we'll be happy. And as long as we put happiness on the other side of the goalpost, our brain, we're teaching our brain that, oh, we can't be happy until. And so we unknowingly are wiring that system in our brain that you can't be happy now. You have to have it when you graduate, Mm -hmm. when your kids get out of college, when you get these kids out of daycare, you know, all the things. And, you know, we've lost the ability to be happy now with Mm -hmm. just what we've got. And there are people in poverty-stricken countries that are much happier than people in the United States. Isn't that funny? I mean, it's like, well, now I feel like we're sandwiched between immediate gratification and delayed gratification. I feel like both of those two, that's interesting. I never thought about it that way. But if you think about it, like, okay, you have on one side of the paradigm, immediate gratification, which desensitizes you and like, you know, everything's easy. So whatever, there's no point to appreciate but on the other side of the extreme, having too much delayed gratification, which usually like we associate to character building and all this stuff, that can also be taken to an extreme too, where it's like, okay, well, I need to just go to school for another four years. I'm not going to be happy until I get my, you know, loan paid off. I'm not going to, you know, everything's going to be nice and free when I'm going to do this or, you know, so constantly pushing, um, I guess, ourselves, especially in the, in the Western world, we're so work, 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 workaholics, you know, trying to build that vision, create that future, you know, all this stuff. We're living in the future constantly. And I'd like to remind myself on that end that it's like, you know, 
if you imagine the best version of yourself, like you can do that. Like you close your eyes, you could be super detailed about it. Imagine and paint the best version of yourself possible. Okay. Now imagine a better version of that. You could do that forever because guess what? There's no end. Like you could never finish the job, you know? So at that point, if the distance between where you are right now, who you are today and the future, let's say best quote unquote self is infinite, right? And it doesn't matter if you stop, do you know what I'm saying? Like the distance is still infinity. So you can never run out of stuff to work on. So there's no rush to, you know, to get there. And it's so important to find something to be happy about. You know, you can still have goals. I'm a big goal-driven person. Yeah, me too. But I'm going to be happy where I am on the way to where I'm going. And and not, I have not let it, you know, since I learned this, be happy when. And and people say that word so often. When I, you know, get these kids out of college or when I get my house paid off or when we save enough money. And I'm like you really aren't going to be any happier then. <laughs> it's a, no, it's a dance because on one side, like, yeah, having goals and a vision helps you, you know, create the future and, and really enjoy future moments. And, and if you don't plant your seeds in you know winter, you're not going to get them in the spring, that kind of thing. But at the same time, I think that's the dance between that future play. You don't exist in the future. You will eventually, but you do exist in the now. Now is the more important of the two, I think. And, our ability to come back to the present moment is it's really the foundation, I think of gratitude. I mean, that's what it's really all about. It's about being present. Right. I mean, right. And you know, you think in this country where we have everything and every freedom that, you know, this, this has got to be the happiest country, but you know, the United States has fallen on the world happiness scale seven years in a row. Wow. And yeah, we are the average American, according to the Gallup poll, only 17% of Americans are satisfied with their life. Wow, that's, that's sad. Uh, isn't that sad that that 83% of people in our country are living a life completely dissatisfied? Wow, this is recent, huh? Yes. Uh-huh. Well, you know, when it comes to training the brain, I want to go back to something that you touched on. Like, okay. you know, it's a practice. It's, a, it's being consistent, right? Is there a timeline? Like, is there a timeline in the sense of like, okay, at three weeks, you start seeing a shift. At six weeks, it's a little more ingrained. At five months, you know, whatever. Like, based on the research and what you know, is there, because there's so many different opinions on, okay, how long does it take to, I mean, I think it's a lifetime deal, but for the sake of, Um, you know. I do think that, you know, they say there's 21 days to create a habit. Yeah. And I, I disagree and agree with that. I think that there, you know, what I have found in the research is it takes 21 days to begin a new habit because you have to be consistent for 21 days in order for your brain to go, okay, she's serious about this because your old pathways are so strong for what you used to do that those will be the easiest ones. And your brain is built for efficiency. So it will always go back to the quickest, shortest, fastest pathway. Well, those are the ones you thought for, you know, the previous 40 years or 20 years or whatever. So when you're building a new habit, it's going to take you 21 days to even begin to start creating a difference in your head. But, you know, if you just quit after 21 days, well, of course, it's going to go right back to the way Mm. it used to be. 
then after about 90 days, you can probably start seeing a difference. And you'll notice that it's not so much effort for you to create this habit, but it's beginning to, you know, actually become a habit. And then I think it takes probably, I would say, between, you know, 250 and 365 before it actually will be something that you don't have to consciously put forth an effort every single day. Mm. And because I know in the mornings, I don't wake up now and go, Oh yeah, I've got to do my gratefuls. I've done it for so long. Yeah. This is part of your, I just do it. But I, you know, I just started a new workout program and I'm having to force myself to do that. (laughs) And you know, and it, it's not easy and I don't want to do it and it sucks. But I remember in the beginning, that's exactly how every habit is, you know, Mm -hmm. if you're trying to replace one with another. And it's so important too, when you're developing, developing gratitude to, you know, make it attractive. Think about Mm -hmm. what you're wanting out of it and, you know, and, and see like, Oh yeah, this, this is going to get me blank because your brain no, especially the lizard brain notices pain much before it notices pleasure mm-hmm. because pleasure is not a threat to the lizard brain and not a threat to you. You know, there's no classes that go, Oh, you can learn how to be sad in 21 days or less. Right. You know, those are, those are really easy for your brain to do. So you've got to think about the pain points a little bit and remind, you know, yourself like, okay, I'm doing this so I can learn to enjoy my life. I'm doing this so I can, you know, live a healthier life. And when I first started, I would, I found pictures of, you know, myself on vacation or whatever. And I just printed them on my, you know, printer on a piece of paper and I cut them out and I put them all over my house in the bathroom in the kitchen and the refrigerator everywhere, reminding myself what a happy version of me looks like to remind Mm -hmm. myself, Oh, I can do this at any time. And it took a long time to get it to be natural, but I've been doing it for so long now that I never have to think to be grateful. It it is my way of life now. Well, you know, it's also interesting is, have you read the book Atomic Habits? Yes. Because you you, you said make it attractive. I'm like, okay, I read that book too. So, (laughs) but- that's one of my favorite books. I know it's it's a great book. So if, yeah, if, you, if anybody listening, if they want to learn about habits, that's pretty much a great one. But one of the things I think also is important there, like we get caught up on days, like how many days is it going to take to learn this habit? But really, if you think about it, I think you mentioned this in the book, but it was also the the repetition that you do and the level of mindfulness that you add to that repetition. So let's say, for example, you're trying to learn a new skill and you practice it you know, 10 minutes a day for 21 days. That's very different than practicing it for two hours for seven days. Do you know what I mean? So it's like the level of intensity, but then also, you know, there's, there's the level of mindfulness that you bring to it. So if you're practicing for two hours, but you're doing it mindlessly and you're kind of just going through the motions, it's also not as effective as like, okay, mindful, consistent, uh, repetition, just like learning. I mean, I associate it to learning how to dance, obviously athletic stuff, but you know, that takes a lot of practice. It, tell you. Like it. It's like a gratitude muscle. Yeah, you know? it is. And that's the way I call it. You know, it's just like any muscle. If you work it out, you know, one day and you work out for six hours, you're not going to be in as good a shape as somebody who works out one hour for six weeks. Yeah. You know, you can't get it all, you know, one day. And just cause you, you know, we're in shape 
when you were 23 doesn't mean you're in shape at 53. Like mm. you got to have some consistency in there somewhere. And I truly, truly believe that consistency is the key above all other things. I think that is the number one game changer. Mm. And on days that are crappy, as long as you're consistent, you know, maybe that day you've only got three minutes to give because that's all, you know, you've got, but keep that consistently flowing in your brain and like, you know, no matter what, I'm going to find something to be grateful for mm -hmm. no matter what, you know, every day, every day, every day. And before you realize it, you're like, Oh my gosh, I didn't even have to tell myself to be grateful today. It was my first thought. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's where I am 10 years down the road now that I never have to tell myself to be grateful. It is absolutely so wired in that I think it all the time, you know, even while we've been on here, I was thinking, oh my gosh, it's so nice that I have beautiful sunshine in my <laughs> peripheral, you know, and it's 90 degrees in Texas today. And, you know, it's little things. I just noticed them before. I'm sure there was sunshine out my window, but I either took it for granted or didn't notice and altered my every concept of life from my son's band concert to the bubbles in my bathtub to you know, the taste of coffee to a great vacation. And mm. in my head, they can all be equally as grateful. And people think it has to be something giant in order to be grateful, but that's just not true. You know, you, you mentioned something too earlier in the conversation that reminds me now, because we're talking about, you know, incorporating this into your life. And one of the studies that I read by Elizabeth, God, I'm forgetting her last name. She's a huge researcher on this stuff. Um, Elizabeth, anyway, I'll, I'll think of the study, but she did a lot of studies on pro-social benefits of gratitude. And one of them was about um, generosity, basically giving and how when we, and this goes back to a very interesting point. This was, this one was very fascinating to me because they did a lot of studies basically where they compared two things. Like one person would have to, one group would have to like receive, they would win, you know, they would win like at a little crossword game or something like that. You probably know these studies where uh -huh. they would win and then, you know, they would win $5. And then every time successively that they won, it just got less and less interesting because, well, okay, we're well, I already won. Like, but then when the person was told to give that $5 to somebody, they said, okay, you could spend this on somebody however you want and you have to document it the excitement for winning was, was always present. So it seems that, so that seems that when we give, when we're generous and I think gratitude and generosity go hand in hand because they're, mm -hmm. they're like two sides of the same coin. You know, when you're grateful, you fill up and then that encourages you to be generous and to give and to outpour. And then of course that gives you reasons to be grateful for. It's like a virtuous cycle. So um, anyway, which was really interesting because when we give it bypasses this, natural tendency to get desensitized. So they found that no matter like you could give every day $5 and it would always be a novel experience for you because right. it, it triggers the brain differently than if somebody showed up to your door every day and said, Hey, here's $5. Hey, here's $5. That's the same stimulus. So it, it's so funny because like literally you're hacking your brain, you know, with generosity into getting more reasons to be grateful for and obviously appreciate your life and, and be you know, in a state and of appreciation. And it fires in the nucleus accumbens, which is the reward center of the brain, which mm. is also where they think addictions, especially alcohol and drugs, where those fire as well. And it's that powerful. 
And giving is such a important part, especially when you look at it as what you've been able to do for another person. Mm -hmm. So I know like I have grown kids. I have a 30 year old, a 27 year old, and then a 12 year old. That was God's funny little joke on my 41st birthday. Um, But you know, I've raised my 12 year old completely in gratitude because he's known about it because I've known about it. Mm. So every day when he gets home from school, I never ask, you know, how was school today? Cause you always get fun. What'd you learn? Nothing. You know, all that yeah. stuff. And so our thing that we say is tell me something you did nice for somebody today. And so that's what I say to him every single day when he gets home. And so now he's got that in his head and there's been times that he said, mom, I almost forgot. I didn't do anything nice for somebody. So right before I left, I held the door open for the teacher. And I'm like, oh, yeah, wow. That's great. You know, but he has, he now knows that he gets excited about what he got to give. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, I wish I would have you know, known about this when my big kids were little, but I have watched him grow up with that. And it has changed the way he sees people. And I thought how fascinating to see the power of giving to, you know, and we think it only benefits the person who got the gift, Mm -hmm. but the research does not show that either. It shows that it's actually equally as beneficial to the giver. And when you can appreciate what you were able to do for someone, it's pretty powerful in the brain. And that part of the brain, the reward center lights up which, you know, was contradictory to what they thought it would do because you weren't getting a reward. You were the giver, but it lights up the part of the brain as if you got the gift yourself. Well, we have, we have mirror neurons. We're one of the few creatures that have mirror neurons. And so we have this rare ability to kind of almost vicariously experience other people's joy. So I think that especially in our own species, you tend to see this group um, altruism or whatever, however you want to phrase it. But basically the idea of if I help someone else, I also benefit. We have that whole, so we're a social creature. Like we, all of our neurotransmitters, you know, the big four, those evolved as a result of our social dependence on one another and having tribes and groups and stuff. So that book, have you read that book social? You just said that made me think of it. Social. That's the name of the book. Social. Yeah. It's by, um, Dr. Lieberman. Hmm. And his whole experiments and studies uh, were about the social aspects of the brain and were wired to be social creatures. And they did one of their experiments they did was with people and they were on a computer program. There were three people and they were playing like Pong. And originally they started and they would just pass the little Pong equally, you know, in a circle Mm -hmm. or triangle or whatever. And then they didn't realize that two of the people were told never to give the ball to another person to shut them out. (laughs) Yes. And even though it was a computer and even though they couldn't see one another, when they went back and did the studies on their brain, the power of that feeling left out and not knowing why, because you hadn't done anything, but it registers in the same area of the brain as physical pain. Yeah. And, they were like fascinated that a broken arm and a broken heart could register in the same location. And even when you take a a Tylenol or ibuprofen or whatever you would take for, you know, a broken arm, it actually is also beneficial for a broken heart because yes, it's crazy because that area of the brain 
feels pain. Well, that's why would that would explain our huge opiate addiction on painkillers yes. and, and a lot of yes. stuff. I mean, that's wow. That's crazy. Isn't that crazy? His book is wow. really, it's a pretty fascinating look at the Those way. Those experiments our, I'm guessing were probably a little while ago before they regulated yeah. psychological experiments. Yeah. <laughs> That's when all the, you know, it's, it sounds bad, but that's when all the good stuff was happening, man. Some of the greatest research, I mean, it's, you can't really do that kind of research, obviously, but no some fascinating stuff that happened in the fifties and sixties and God. Yeah. And, I, have I, you seen the one, I think it's on Netflix that was about the prison experiment. Have you seen that one? I, I haven't seen the Netflix one, but I'm familiar with that experiment. I, I had the BA in psychology in school. So we did a lot of behavioral psychology and stuff and it was fascinating, man. I just watched it. I can't remember if it was on Hulu or Netflix, but I thought, okay, I want to look at this, you know, from my perspective. And I was like, Oh my gosh, you know, and it was supposed to last, I think three weeks and it, you know, maxed out five days or six days or whatever it was. But the psychological effects, even though the people knew they were, playing a part and yep. they were in a role your brain that just shows you how your brain cannot differentiate those things and when you begin to feel something we are so social that the feeling center of the brain will override the cognitive center yeah. every time and that's what gratitude does too and you know that feeling of gratitude can override so many bad moments and crappy mm. days and but you have to force it because your, your brain, you know, will try to go, Hey, you know, you're bad. Don't you want to be mad? Don't you want to hit something? Don't you want to throw something? And you're like, Oh no, I'm going to be grateful. And I, you know, when I first started, I would say, I'm going to be grateful for three minutes and then I'm going to be mad. You know, and I was trying to force myself, but after those three minutes were over, it was magical. How I was like, Oh, all right, I'll, I'll be mad later if I want to, you know, and I would give mm -hmm. myself permission and, I never was because three minutes was plenty to alter the chemicals in my brain. And hmm. I was like, Oh yeah, All right, forget it. I'm not mad now. <laughs> do you do anything in your routine? I mean, obviously you said the morning you do a couple of gratitudes and at night, do you anything else throughout the day that you, that you have gotten into doing pretty automatically now that you've noticed a big, big change. Yes, I do. Like, especially when I'm in the car, because I feel like we mindlessly drive, you know, and we spend half of our lives in the car now. Um, but I, you know, have little timers on my phone and they'll go off and I'll look wherever I am, I'll stop and find something I'm grateful for. Oh, cool. And, like a little pattern interrupt sort of. Yeah. And what's crazy is that the research shows too, people were being grateful and it wasn't doing what they wanted it to in their brain. It wasn't releasing the proper chemicals. And they found out that the reason that it doesn't is because people didn't dig into the wine that they were grateful. Mm -hmm. So that is the most important piece of the puzzle because we can all say, I'm grateful for a new car. I'm grateful for coffee. I'm grateful for a bubble bath. But when you don't think of the why, the why is up in the prefrontal cortex in the cognitive section, but that's where you get those giant neuron firings and, you know, as a teacher in me, that's also the higher level thinking skills. Like you have to contemplate, why am I grateful for coffee? And I'm like, oh yeah. Yeah. Why I is that meaningful it. for you? Yeah. I love the mix of the bitter and the sweet and, you know, with my coffee and my cream, I love the taste of the warmth going down my throat. 
And I always tell people coffee reminds me of my granny because it, to me in the morning, I love that feeling of warmth. And I said, that's exactly how my granny's hugs used to feel. And, you know, so that's what coffee reminds me of. But I had to really process, why do I like coffee? Because Mm -hmm. I drank it for 20 years before I ever thought about why I was grateful. So I never take a sip ever of my coffee. The first few sips are the ones I'm so, I'm like, oh my gosh, I love that, you know, with the cream still sitting on top and that mix of the cream and the bitter and, you know, and I do the same thing with water. You know, and I think, wow, I love the taste of fresh water. There's nothing like it to quench your thirst. Oh, you know, best. and I purposely, when I, when I quit thinking of water as water, I actually realize the power of water. Hmm. And I'm like, wow, you know, it, it, it doesn't even touch the sides of my throat. It's, it's like almost invisible as it goes down. But I never paid attention. I just drank it when I was thirsty. Hmm. And, you know, if I drink a Coke and I'm, I'll tell my husband, I'm like, ah. It burns all the way down. I'm like, those are some good <laughs> bubbles, you know, and no matter what it is, if it's, you know, a nacho and I'm like, man, that was the perfect jalapeno. And I was, you know, and I, I constantly am in a process of thinking why I'm grateful for things. Mm. And I, I swear that's why my brain's on, I'm, I'm on full-time happy juice up here <laughs> no, <laughs> because I'm awesome. constantly releasing those chemicals. And the why is the, is the secret. That is the secret. I think that you, we tend to get mindless about it, but if you can, if you can get mindful, right. With your why about everything it's and throughout the day too, I've noticed like, I, I need like regular gratitude breaks. Like I try to do it before I eat, you know, try to do a little prayer of thanks and, and uh, you know, when I'm brushing my teeth, when I drink water, like trying to habit stack, you know, stacking gratitude as a habit with the things you already do. Like if you're drinking water, okay. How about tune into the water, that kind of thing. So I think having those regular breaks throughout the day helps you from like ups and downs are going to happen at the end of the day, life. It doesn't matter how well you could be Tony Robbins. You could be Jesus Christ. Even Jesus got pissed off when, you know, they came into the temple. So he threw furniture all over the place. So Uh even if you're Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter. The, The point is I think that we can have all these little safeguards to totally not derail you know when something happens if you're in traffic and then suddenly you get so emotional and so pissed off that you start complaining and then the whole world sucks in the rest of your day instead of being creative or you know attracting more future opportunities it just becomes like okay now i'm tired i'm just gonna check out today you know or take some drugs or whatever you know so it's and it's that creativity of the gratitude you know that really is the fun part of it. And when I get stuck in traffic, you know, I do the same thing. I'll like, okay, let me look around and I'll start looking, looking, looking. I'm like, Oh my gosh, look at that cute little man walking his dog. And you know, they're both chubby and I'm like, what? they look like twins. (laughs) And I'm like, how cute is that? And I, you know, and then I imagine what their life is when they're home and you know, he's got a chair and they've got a chair and you know, and and all of a sudden I'm not thinking about traffic anymore. Mm. And I know that my lulls in my day in about 3.30 is when I always have kind of a sinking spell. Mm-hmm. And that's when I used to start grabbing sugar or grabbing coffee. And now I make myself go outside for, you know, just three minutes is my kind of magic number. And I'll go outside for three minutes and, you know, try to look for as many things as I can find in three minutes to be grateful for. And it gives you such an endorphin rush, you know, which is what exercise does that I come back and I'm like, Oh man, you know, and that's when I have my creative spurts. But when you feel those lulls, we just go with them. 
And then all of a sudden, you know, we're just zombied out mm-hmm. and I have learned, oh yeah, that's not because I'm tired. That's because my brain is losing focus. It's lost its chemicals and it's all about the chemicals. And if you'll just switch up those chemicals, it'll, oh, we're playing this game now. Okay. I'll start looking for stuff, you know, and, and all of a sudden I'm perked up and ready to go. Cause I went outside and tried to find a four leaf clover, tried to blow dandelions in my pasture, you know, something crazy. I have yet to find a four leaf clover. I found one when I was a kid and then I lost it. And I have this like burning desire. Every time I see a clover patch, like I'm like looking through it frantically to find another one. (laughs) I'll find one eventually. I'm going to keep it forever and flip frame it and press it or something. Yeah. (laughs) Well, one more question for you, Stacey. It's been a pleasure. What are you most grateful for right now? I am most grateful at this stage of my life to realize that at 53, I'm just learning how to be my best self. And I think, you know, when I was a kid, I used to think 30 was like ancient and you had to cut your hair and drive a sensible car. And the older I get, the more I realize like I have the power to, to be whatever I want to be at, you know, those are stipulations I've placed on myself. And and I love my life and I wake up every morning and when I look in the mirror for the first time in my life, there's nobody in the world I would rather be but me. Wow. That's it's awesome. taken a long time to get there. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a journey, man. I tell you every day, you know, it's like, what do they say? It's a cha-cha, two steps forward, one step back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with my good friend, Stacy Danford. Again, you can check her out at thegratefulbrain.com. That's spelled T-H-E-G-R-A-T-E-F-U-L-B-R-A-I-N. All this stuff will be in the blog post for the episode. So make sure you check out danceoflife.com slash podcast. This is episode 194 for the links. She can uh, She's going to give you 10% off her Chemical Soup online course. That's her signature course. So make sure you check that out if you listen to this episode and you want to learn more about Stacy and what she does, go check that out. I hope this has inspired you guys, you know, with, with at least one action that you can take today to enhance your own practice of gratitude, because it is a practice. You know, as much as I blog about this stuff, I've written so many articles. I wrote a book. I have my own gratitude course that it came out with a program. I talk about it here on the podcast regularly. You see, every time I interview somebody, I ask them, what are they grateful for at the end? It's a huge part of my life. And yet every day is still a battle with myself, you know, and I can share that because it's something that we are always practicing. You know, if you don't practice doing something, your skill and your technique is going to wither away. And that's the same thing, whether it's an athletic activity, a musical instrument, or a practice of gratitude. Every day you got to wake up and thank whatever force is here that's keeping you alive for an extra day, because a lot of people didn't make it that day. And if you can approach life that way, it's going to dramatically shift how you are creative, how you show up in your relationships, how you attract money into your life, uh, how you navigate through this fear-driven world. You know, it's, it's so important. So I hope this episode has inspired you, at least, like I said, with one little thing that you can take forward into your life, 
with some action. And if you need help with it, you got a lot of resources. TheGratefulBrain.com, go check that out. I also have a book if you're curious about that. It's a free book, TheGratitudeMap.com. You get so many resources for free. We have a Facebook group. Stacy's got a ton of Facebook groups that she does as well. Go check those out. A lot of resources for you that will help you jumpstart this practice and really commit to it. You know, I can tell you in my own life, having committed to this through the things that I'm doing has allowed me to practice it. So the more things you commit yourself to today and start with one, the better chance you're going to have of carrying that habit into the future with you. Because remember our quote from Williams Wordsworth, man, that's, that's a Wordsworth. That is worth some words. That is a tricky name right there. Good old William, your mind is a garden. Your thoughts are seeds. You can grow flowers or you can grow wheat. It's up to you what you grow in that garden. But all we have is our mind. You know, it's a, it's a window into our reality. That mind can either be fed with thoughts of gratitude and appreciation, or it can succumb to its own problems of complaining, fear, self-preservation, you know, all this toxicity that's in there naturally trying to be self-preserving all the time. The choice is yours. So make a good one today. Check out some of those extra resources available to you. And I hope that it's inspired you that there's always a choice that you can make to shift your life around. Tune in Tuesday for some Transformation Tuesday. And next Friday, we're going to be doing five reasons why you are your biggest investment. So make sure you tune in. We're going to be looking at five very important reasons why you should be investing in yourself every day, like you're doing by listening to this show, by going to that course of Stacy's and, and checking that out or going to her website or joining a, a gratitude group and committing to seeing that every day, once a day, whatever it is, when you make those little investments in yourself, they add up and that's what matters most. Hope you have an amazing rest of your day and we'll see you on Tuesday for a little transformation Tuesday. Until then, remember your life is a dance. So go out there and dance it well. For more inspiration, free resources, and bonus content, stay connected at danceoflife.com.